while. During that first song, when uh, Jeremy was playing, I guess that's an alto sax. Soprano. Soprano sax. Didn't know there was such thing. I learned something all the time. I, it was just incredible. And I looked at his dad, who was standing in the choir loft right next to him, looking down at him, and you, you could just see the pride uh, in his dad's face. And, you know, we always, it always feels good to make our dad proud. And I know it, I know dad was proud of him, and I know that uh, it's got to feel good for Jeremy. I just wonder, uh, see, more often than not, I'm probably the kid who dad would catch doing something that he shouldn't be doing. I don't know if that's ever happened in the Roberts household. If, uh, if, if Jeremy ever got caught, uh, surprised doing something when dad came in the room or dad came home, I know that's happened to me, uh, on occasion. And I never, I never want my dad to be ashamed of me. I never wanted my dad to not be proud of me, but certainly, like everyone else, uh, there's times we make mistakes. There's times that we fumble and fail. And sometimes I was just doing something stupid and dad would walk in and catch me. Today's passage from 1 John chapter 2 gives us a warning about that very thing. The scripture says, you don't want to be ashamed when Jesus returns. You don't want to be caught doing something or being someone that you know would be an embarrassment to yourself and would be an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 3. I titled the lesson today, Be Ready When Daddy Comes Home. Because as you study this morning in your growth group, if you were in one of the, the classes, Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. Now, we don't know the date or the time. Uh, that's one of the things that the father held to himself. I, I'm curious about one thing, even when Jesus was on earth, Jesus said, I don't even know the, the date or the time. That's for the father and the father alone. Now, now that Jesus is back in the, the heavenlies at the right hand of the throne of his father, uh, maybe he knows that date and time. Uh, all I know is what scripture says. Uh, when he was on earth, he didn't. And so for us to think that we could figure it out, I think that, that we have to be careful there. But the truth is he is coming back. And it could very well be in my lifetime or in your lifetime. And even if Jesus doesn't part the eastern skies and step out of heaven and, and in a moment uh, transform us and resurrect those who have, have died and, and give them new bodies. Even if that doesn't take place in our lifetime, every one of us still has to be ready to meet the Father. I tell this story at a lot of the memorial services uh, from my daughter, and I'll shorten it, but the, the three months before Katie passed away, she, we knew what was coming and, and she had overheard the doctors and, and I asked her a question that night, you know, Katie, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I know I'm okay because Jesus is going to come get me. And we talked about that. I said, well, Katie, you know, some people say they see a, a bright light in a tunnel and, and, you know, the angels, they believe the angels take their spirit home to be with the Lord when, when they pass away on this earth. And she said, no, dad, I know Jesus is coming to get me. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she, she said, because it's that passage that you preach from John. When it, Jesus says, I'll return again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Well, she kind of trumped me with Scripture, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think when you get into to examining theology, and, and it may be a messenger of Christ who comes, but I believe that because of her faith, the Lord came and took her home. 
So she was ready, though. When Jesus came for her, she was ready. John's question for the church in John, 1 John chapter 2 is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be prepared when your father sends Christ back for you? Read with me the text. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through 3. 3. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You know this well as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they don't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, I've been accused the last few weeks of, uh, or the last two weeks of preaching long. I came back from vacation. I felt like I owed it to you to give you a little bit more. Last week I, at Leander, I hadn't been there in 30 years. So you can imagine, I preached an hour. I'm not planning on preaching an hour today. But I want to walk through this text with you. Uh, and, and look at three main themes here. The first one is uh, we need to be ready when Jesus returns by being where we're supposed to be. In my, my sermon uh, point, I said the place that we belong, the place that we belong is abiding in Christ. In fact, the text here, our CSB translates that word. I'm, I'm used to the word abide. Uh, it's a familiar theme with John. John uses that word in his gospel. You have to believe that John is thinking when he writes these words, he's remembering Jesus's words the night before he went to the, to the cross. There in the garden, Jesus tells his disciples, abide in me and I in you, right? In John chapter 15, verse 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That word abide is translated remain in our Christian standard Bible. It's the exact same word. And so here in verse 2, he says, little children remain in him. Y'all know that when my kids were younger, and I've been here long enough, you remember a lot of the stories from my, my children were growing up. And uh, we had one rule. I called it one rule that, that we would teach them that they had to repeat. And, and this rule is true for our children, but it's also true for you. If you'll be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing, you'll stay out of trouble, right? Be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, you mess up any one of those three, you can get yourself in trouble. You can be where you're supposed to be, but not on time, and it's going to get you in trouble. You can be where you're supposed to be on time and doing something you ain't supposed to be doing, and it's going to get you in trouble. But if you'll keep all three aspects of that rule, it'll, it'll keep you out of trouble. John says, this is the first aspect, be where you're supposed to be. Where are you supposed to be? In Christ. Remain in him. Abide in him. Walk in a relationship with him. In John chapter 15, he says, it's like the vine and the branches. If the branch doesn't remain in the vine, it will die. It will wither and die. If we don't remain connected to Christ, we will wither and die. We will dry up. It, it doesn't mean, uh, go back to John chapter 15, I don't believe that means that you'll lose your salvation, but I do believe that you will wither 
If you separate yourself from Christ as a Christian, and you're not abiding in him, your life will dry up. Nathan reminded you a couple weeks ago uh, in his sermon that of, of the themes of John. And I want to highlight that here because it shows up in this verse. The, 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 the thesis of the gospel of John, John says there's a lot of other stories that I could have told about Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, there's a lot of other stories I could have written, but I wrote these stories down for a purpose. I wrote these stories down so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God, and that in, through, through that you might believe in him and gain eternal life. So he wrote the gospel of John, and, and the thesis of it was so that you might know that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for you and that through him you might have life. First John, the letter, he now is writing back to the church. He's writing to people who've already believed in Christ, who are already saved. And in writing this letter in 1 John chapter 5, you'll find where he says, this letter I've written so that you might know, I've written to you who believe so that you might know that you're saved. Because some of us, when, especially when we sin, when we step away from Christ or we get out of fellowship with him, we begin to question and doubt our salvation. And so John says, I've written this letter to the church so that you might know. That theme appears here in this way. The theme of abiding and remaining in Christ, that idea is inherent in John's writing. You see it in the Gospel of John, you'll see it in this letter. And, but he adds a new twist. He adds a theme here. In, in this verse, in verse 28, when he says, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence in his coming. The word confidence is a Greek word that, uh, that literally means to say what's on your mind and not hold back. Now, I know there's a few of you out there that are outspoken like that. You don't have any problem. In fact, uh, one of the most well-respected lexicons for the last 50 years, Greek lexicons from Bauer and Gingrich says that this, the, the word is parousia, and it literally means to use speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. So to have confidence before God is to be able to stand before a holy God and pour your heart out because you know that you're in good standing before him. Well, how are you going to know that you know that you know that you have good standing before God? First, you're going to know because you're remaining in him. You're walking in that relationship with him. And so you will be ready for his return because you're where you're supposed to be. You're in Christ already. You won't be ashamed. You won't be surprised. You won't be shocked. You won't be stunned by Jesus' return because you've been hanging out in his presence every day of your life. I think about uh, what I preached last week at Leander was we told a lot of, I told a lot of the stories about Katie's life and a lot of the struggles that we've been through. And one of the, one of the things that, that always sticks with me is we were able to walk through a lot of the most difficult struggles. I think back now at, at my age and experience and think at 21 and 22 years old, how were Susan and I able to stand in the midst of the pain and suffering and struggles and news that we got the day that Katie was born? Well, it was only through the power and the presence of the Lord. But it wasn't by accident. The week before Katie was born, I was preaching at First Baptist Church Locker, Texas, with you know 10 out there in the congregation. And the passage that the Lord had me preach that day was from 1 Peter 
chapter 1 about how God carries us through various trials and temptations for the purifying of our faith so that we can be used of him. I preached that on Sunday. Katie was born on Saturday. That's no accident. See, I believe that God, when you're remaining in him, when you're walking in a relationship with him, he's, he already knows what's going to happen next Sunday, next month. He can look ahead. And so he's at work in you to prepare you and, and, and provide for you and make sure that, that you are ready. He's taking care of you. But you don't get that if you're not walking in a relationship with him. You'll never experience that kind of, of, of joy and preparation. When you remain in him, you don't have to worry about the return of Christ. You don't have to be a, a fearful in any way. When you're walking in a relationship with him, you know that you are where you're supposed to be. And if he were to come in the door right now, you wouldn't be ashamed. You'd be at peace. Now, the next thing that, that, that we get to here, he says, uh, but remember, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So he's given us a little bit of foretaste. You know what he expects of you. You know what, what Christ has given you some, a picture of what he expects. Not that any one of us is ever going to be perfect, but we ought to be pursuing perfection so that when he returns, as we remain in him, we're not going to be ashamed because we're doing something we ought not be doing. Second, so we have the place we belong. The place we belong is in Christ. Second, we have the privilege of our adoption. This gives us confidence in his presence because we've been adopted by God. I said a couple weeks ago uh, from, from the text where John refers to uh, us as children the first time. You see John take a pastoral turn in this letter. He begins by, by laying out uh, some theology in chapter one. He gives kind of the welcome and the introduction, and he lays out some theology there for us, tells us how we ought to respond when we sin. But then he gets to a pastoral tone, and you hear that especially here when, he's, when he says, so now, little children. And then in verse three, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. How much does God have to love us to call us God's children? It's kind of the question that John poses. And then he says, you are. You are called God's child. Now, let's not miss this because this is so important. Not every human being that walks the face of the earth is privileged to be called a child of God. The secular world may want to communicate that idea. There's some universalist churches that may want to communicate that idea that everybody is a child of God. We're really not. Originally, God created Adam and Eve in his image, and then they sinned. And that image was scarred, it was blurred, it was damaged. To the extent that, that even Jesus says that when you're born, you're dead in your sins. You're dead. You're dead to God. You're separated from God. It is only through rebirth that when you are born again that you now become a child of God. And you become a child of God through that rebirth, the, the New Testament uses the word adoption frequently. 
as though God took some children who were not his children, they were children of wrath, as Matthew said earlier, they were not his children, and he made us his children. He cleansed us from our sin, he gave us a new heart, so that now we can be called children of God. And the only reason that we can be called children of God is because of his great love. He loved us so much that he did everything that he could, that he went through all of the, 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 the necessary steps to destroy the, the dividing line between us and him. He, because of our sin, we could not stand in the presence of a holy God, of our heavenly father. And so God dealt with our sin because we were born spiritually dead. We could not live forever in the presence of an eternal God. And so God dealt with our dead spirit by sending us his spirit to enliven us and bring us to life and give us a new heart so that we were born again in a relationship with him. And now we're his children. What an incredible love God had to have for us because honestly, have you ever gotten so frustrated with somebody you just want to sever that relationship and say, I'm done. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. For some of us, it's, it could actually be children, our own children that they've turned their backs. They become so distant that, that, but the love of God caused him to provide a pathway that we might become his children. And that pathway came through the cross. He sent his son, the, the, the one and only true born son of God, who was there from the beginning, who was before creation, there in his presence, before there was an earth and a sky and a universe and stars. He sent his son, who he had the most intimate relationships with, to take on human flesh to walk among us and to go to the cross after living a perfect sinless life to show us the extent of his great love. To the point that Paul says, you want to know how much God loves you? Look to the cross. God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible picture of his love. See what great love the Father has for us that we would be called his children. To be called the children of God is not to be taken lightly. You know, that's one of the beauties of adoption. I know many in our church over the years have adopted children. My dad could actually look me in the eye. He didn't. Maybe he did a couple times. And say, you know, you, you were an accident. But if you've adopted a child, you can't say that. There are no accidents in adoption. There's a lot of tears and finances that are invested. A conscious choice that's made when you adopt a child. See, God wasn't stuck with me. God chose me. Well, think about that. God wasn't stuck with you. He chose you. I mean, I've thought about it before, I, and, and God kind of almost did it this way back in Noah's day when he said, I'm done, 
and he sent a flood to wipe them out. I wonder many times, it seems to me it would have been a whole lot easier. Some of y'all used to watch Bill Cosby, and Bill Cosby had a comedy routine where he would tell his kids, he said, look, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, and your mom and I can make another one look just like you. Now, Bill Cosby couldn't actually do that, but God can. God could say, I'm done with you, and I can make another one just like you, but better. He could have done that. But he loved me so much that that's not the approach he took. He loves me so much, he said, I want you to be my child. I'm willing to pay the price to redeem you from your sin. To, to redeem you out of the slavery of sin. To redeem you out of the eternity separated from me that you're headed toward. I'm willing to redeem you out of the coming hell and bring you into my family and make you my child. Not to belabor this point, but how... I don't think that we could ever spend enough time on this to get it and to appreciate it. God loved me so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that I could become his child. And he adopted me into his family forever. That, that covenant of adoption that God has with me will not and cannot be severed. I'm his child. Even when I continue to go on and do stupid stuff, he no longer, I, I never will face his wrath. That's his promise. I face his discipline but I'll never face his wrath because I'm not separated. I'm not outside of the family of God anymore. And John is writing to the church here saying, see what great love the Father has for you that we could be called God's children, and we are. Because of his love, we've been adopted into his family. And the world doesn't fully understand that. In fact, that's what he goes on to say here. He said, the reason the world doesn't know us, doesn't understand us, is because they don't know him. They haven't experienced an incredible love of God, so they're not going to understand where we're coming from. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Even John uses that, that word cosmos a few different ways. It can be used to refer to the universe or physical things in the world. It can be used to refer to every person in the world. In this case, John is using the, the, the term world to refer to those people who are not of God. Okay, So you'll, you'll see that in Scripture sometimes. He'll refer to the church and the world, whereas the, the world cosmos, that Greek word in this case, is used to refer to people outside of God's family. And so the, the, the only way that you truly understand that is through the context. But the context is clear here. Those who are not adopted by God don't understand where God's children are coming from. Well, why is it they don't understand us? Is it they don't love us? They don't like us? No, it's because they don't know Him. And as long as and until they come to know God, they're never going to understand the children of God, when we act like the children of God. Sadly, far too often, we in the church, the children of God, act like the world. And the world gets it then. But when we, when, when we act as children of God, they're not going to understand it, and they're not going to relate to it. 
But we see in here how to be ready when dad comes home, be where we're supposed to be. We, we have the place that we belong. We have the privilege of adoption. What does that cause us to do? I think that that moves us to, to the result that we see in the next few verses because it causes us to want to act differently. I, I refer to this as the product of our redemption. The first product of our redemption is we are his kids. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now. Is John belaboring that point? Yes. We could be called the children of God. We are called the children of God. Now, understand, right, we are God's children. It's, John just keeps repeating himself. Why is that? Because our, what happens, what comes out of our life should, be, should reflect who we are as children of God. The product of our salvation, the product of our new birth, the product of being a child of God ought to reflect who we are as a child of God. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff. I, I don't follow the royals, but obviously with, with Queen Elizabeth's death, there's been a lot on TV and in passing, seeing the news and the news headlines and all of that. You can't hardly miss it. But one of the things that you notice is Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles have had some struggles with their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. And, and it's the, the, I don't know, y'all could probably tell me a whole lot more of this story than what I understand. But there seems to be a disconnect because the idea was that the royals weren't acting like royals. <laughs> the children of the queen were not acting like children of the queen. They were doing things that were not befitting of being called a child of the queen or the child of the king. Well, I'm afraid that far too often that is exactly what God sees in us. We are children of the king. We are his kids. And, and it ought to transform how we act. It ought to change how we live. Because we are his kids. And sometimes just understanding who we are in Christ and by faith remaining in him and walking in him makes a difference. Because if somebody tells you, and, and, and there's been research studies done, especially in orphanages, back years ago when I took sociology and psychology, I remember some of the studies that were done with children that were left alone and did not receive human touch, how that greatly impacted them. Other children who were, who were told that they weren't worthy, and you tell a child enough that that child is not worthy, that it's no good, that it, it's never going to live to be anything. It's never going to grow to, to, to maturity. Guess what's going to happen? And so if, if we believe that we're just human and we're just a product of, of this world and we're the product of sin in this world, and if we believe that about ourselves, that's how we tend to act. But if we get it, if we ever fully understand that we're a child of the king, We've been transformed by the power of God. We've been given a new heart. We've been born again. It will transform our mind and how we act and how we go about things. I'm not talking about just, you know, positive thinking. I'm talking about putting our faith in the living God and what his word says about us that we are his children. And so John goes on to say there, we are his children now. What we will be has not been yet been revealed. God is still working on us. We're, we have not arrived yet. And what we will be, we don't even know for sure yet. 
We don't even know how, how much God has left to do in us, to, to change us and transform us. That sanctification process of God moving in the life of his children to discipline them, to love them, to encourage them, so that we might become holy as he is holy. God is at work. He, he does say that there's going to come a day when Jesus appears that we're going to see him like he is, and we're going to understand more of who we are. When Jesus returns, we, we, we then will be who God is creating us to be. But until that day, we're still a work in progress. Well, for one, that ought to encourage us. I'm glad he's not finished with me yet. For two, it ought to keep me humble. Because I'm, I'm not who God wants me to be, and I never fully will be in this world. Because he's still working on me to mature me and discipline me and transform me into his image. All of that is rooted in the fact that he loves me and that I'm his child. When he comes back, then and only then will our, will our salvation be complete. We will know him and we will see him as he is and we'll be made complete in him. Man, that's something to look forward to. That day when we stand before God as the, the finished work of what he has been doing in his kids. What an awesome day that's going to be. And then he ends with this thought. As everyone has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone that, that, that understands this, everyone that has this hope in Christ, that one of these days I'm going to be who he wants me to be, how ought I be living today? Ought to be at work, ought to be seeking holiness. He uses the phrase here, purifying himself just as he is pure. It ought to be my goal. It ought to be my objective to live a life that is pleasing to my heavenly father. It ought to be my objective to be growing in a relationship with him so that I become more like him, so that I become holy as he is holy. Understanding that I will never fully get there until Jesus returns. But because I know who to whom I belong, because I know I'm his child and I know that he is holy and he expects holiness in me ought to be at work moving that direction. There's a couple things I want to revisit here very quickly as we close out. First one is this. If you have ever put your faith and trust in Christ and, and you have surrendered your life to him, you have become a child of God. You're his kid. You've been adopted into his family, and you are a part of an eternal kingdom, an eternal family and, and that has an eternal inheritance. If you have not, you're outside of that family. That's scary. If you have never put your trust and faith in Christ as your only hope of eternal life, you are separated from the family of God. And you really are still under his wrath. Your sin keeps you from being able to have a relationship with the Holy God, keeps you from being able to come into his presence. It, and if you were to take your last breath on this earth today, you would not wake up in the presence of God in heaven. You'd be eternally separated from him. The only hope that each one of us have is not our goodness, it's his cross. It's his blood that has washed us from our sin. It's becoming adopted into his family. And those of you that are hearing this, whether you're sitting in this auditorium or, or you're, you're watching it online later or you're watching online right now, you have no excuse. 
You can't say, well, I didn't know that, that God wanted me to be a part of his family. I didn't know that Jesus died for me and he wanted, he wanted to, to adopt me in his family. You have no excuse because scripture is clear and the message has been laid out before you. If you have never made that decision to surrender control of your life and, and give it over to Christ, that he might make you new and that he might make you a part of his family, I would implore you, I would plead with you, Surrender your heart and give it over to him. There's, there's no greater place to be than the assurance and the hope that comes in being a part of the family of God. Yesterday, we were in this very auditorium celebrating the life and grieving the loss of one of our church members. And even in that grief, we could stand here with hope because we knew that Susan Wilson had put her faith and trust in the living Christ. We knew it. She lived it. She professed it. She confessed it. She lived it out before our eyes. And so when she took her last breath on this earth, she took her first breath in heaven. Are you ready for that day? That's the question. Are you ready when the Son of God comes for you? If not, I'd implore you, don't put it off. When I was in high school, I was, my dad always said I was a smart aleck, and I found a shirt that I really liked. It had a guy laying on his back. Clearly, he'd been knocked unconscious or dead and had birds circling around his head. And it said, many people who plan to give their life to Christ at the last hour die at 1030. That's sad. I would implore you that if you don't know if you were, to, you were adopted into the family of God, you're one of his children that you'd get that settled before it's too late. And church, believers, those of us who John's writing to, we know that we're adopted into his family. If you've already put your faith in Christ and you know that you're his child, act like it. Honestly, you won't have the strength to do it on your own. We can try as hard as we want to to be good, and we're still going to mess up. Where you gain strength is when you remain in Him, when you abide in Him. When you're where you're supposed to be, you're walking in a relationship with Christ, His Spirit will give you the strength and the power to be the, the child of God, to live that out the way that He desires you to. So live like it. Be where you're supposed to be and live like it. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.